When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Folks, um, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, Game One of the American League Divisional Series. The Yankees, of course, won four to one over the Cleveland Guardians. Um, we're going to do a quick little post-game space, kind of talk about uh, a pretty encouraging start to the ALDS. I think that a lot of things went right for the Yankees. A lot of things that uh, they can build off of. There were definitely there were definitely some things that I wasn't a huge fan of. But overall, I mean, I think that. You have to be, if if not impressed, then uh, at the very least uh, optimistic about the direction of this series. The Yankees certainly came in as, I think, the favorites to win. I think Cleveland's very much the underdog in this series. And New York looked like it tonight. There were a couple of, of iffy moments, but I, I don't think the game was ever really out of hand. So we're going to talk uh, a few things about that. Uh, my name is Joshua Deemer. I'm a staff writer at Pinstripe Alley. I'm joined by uh, Peter Brody. Hi, Peter. Let's go. So Peter just finished our recap. So everyone go in and check out that. Before we get going, I just want to, I don't want to get into it. Um, I just want to say Jeff Passan, um, fucking be better than you were today. Uh, I know that you deleted the tweet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then uh, that's okay. I don't really want to get into it, but um, he deleted the tweet and he apologized. But an apology doesn't go as far as just not being an asshole in the first place. Uh, so just fucking be better. Anyway, that's enough about that. Let's talk about the New York Yankees. Also joining us, also a member of the staff, uh, Sam Chapman. Hi, Sam. Howdy. How's it going? So Sam is uh, new-ish to the staff and just welcome to covering postseason baseball. It's very hectic. It's a beautiful thing, though. I guess it's better than better than the alternative, right? Yes, it's definitely better than than being uh, the Mets and and having no uh, investment in this whatsoever. Um, the the big I don't know if it was the turning point, but sort of the big moment of the game was the the third inning. So Garrett Cole gives up a home run to Stephen Kwan of all people. The Guardians don't right. hit a lot of home runs. Stephen Kwan definitely doesn't hit a lot of home runs, and yet Cole hits the next batter, and you know this felt like one of those innings. But and ended up you know, throwing six and a third innings, only allowing you know one run on a solo home run, and it feels like this is what we've been saying all year. I think sort of the most reassuring that I saw, so that home run to Quan was sort of the just kind of classic like just pump a fastball right down the middle. It seems like that's where like most of his mistakes come. Obviously, is on on those bad fast. And I felt like after that, especially with with two strikes, like his strikeout pitches were those breaking balls like out of the zone that he was getting a lot of chases on. 
And I feel like that's encouraging to, especially in those spots with two strikes to be going to that. And obviously it worked quite well. And I, I just thought, you know, that adjustment was probably the most encouraging thing that I saw. Yeah, I agree with you about Cole. That was the first thing that I thought about when thinking about what, what was the story of this game was that third inning. Because we've seen far too often the way that Cole, he kind of gets out of, out of sorts. He faces maybe like an inconvenience or a bad outcome and can't make that mid-inning adjustment where he's able to like step off the mound, take a deep breath, rein it in, and execute his pitches. It's almost like he tries to bully his way out of out of the inning. And that's when he gets gets in trouble because he gets himself into fastball counts and he ends up grooving at middle middle like you talked about but today he 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 kind of knuckled down and he he limited the damage to the minimum that he could have given up and just like looking at um, some of his numbers he had 19 swings and misses the curveball and slider looked absolutely nasty today they had devastating movement he was commanding both pitches to the glove side part of the plate and below the zone and it was interesting to see the way that if you go back to that strikeout game that he had against Cleveland in the 2020 wildcard series in game one of the 2020 wildcard series, the curveball, the knuckle curve and the slider were, were really big weapons for him. So it seems like he, he kind of drew upon the experience of that start to inform the way that he pitched today. And especially against a, a team, a Cleveland team that whiffs the least of any of the playoff teams to get 19 swings and misses today was was really impressive. So we've talked about Cole. Um, one of the things that I think was top of mind for a lot of folks, especially today after the Zach Efros news, was, okay, even if we're optimistic about Garrett Cole, and I think that he rewarded our optimism, I think he pitched really well today, how were the Yankees going to go about all of the innings after Garrett Cole or, or you know, uh, on Thursday after Nestor Cortez. And Cole certainly ran his pitch count up early in the start, got a little bit better as the start went along. The Yankees went to Jonathan Lawazga, Wandy Peralta, and then Clay Holmes. And they threw uh, three and two-thirds innings, two hits, uh, one strikeout, no walks. Sam, I guess I'm first question to you, were you surprised, uh, number one, by the usage uh, of those three guys, and number two, that of Luisaga, Peralta, Holmes, uh, not only did Peralta look the best, but Peralta, Peralta also got the most use in terms of in terms of outs. Certainly not in terms of pitches. He only threw eight pitches. Yeah, the, the you know the the personnel like who exactly it was is not all that surprising. Although it was this was Peralta's first game since what like September eighteenth, I think. Sounds about right. I yeah, that's correct. That. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, he, uh, Andrew tweeted about it earlier, but he really has been like sort of a rock solid part of like this pitching staff for like the whole year. And he's, he's been really very good. And, uh, I'm kind of glad to see him if, if he was in, you know, kind of an increased kind of role. And during that sort of tough stretch where Holmes was kind of falling apart and Luizaga hadn't quite found it, he was kind of the person that I thought would sort of get that increased, you know, get those higher leverage spots and everything. So surprising, maybe just considering the the amount of time that he's had off. But I, I think it's encouraging, A, that they were willing to do that, and B, that he, you know, succeeded in doing it as well. So only eight pitches is not a ton of data to go off of, although I will not complain if a reliever gets four outs on just eight pitches. Um, Peter, one thing that's interesting about Peralta is, if you look at the Yankees and sort of what the Yankees have wanted to do with their bullpen, Trevino and Luizaga and Holmes, 
they throw these heavy, heavy 99 mile per hour sinkers that are just, it must be like hitting a bowling ball. Like they, the Yankees have really tried to make like four different peak Zach Britons down there. And then even guys from the left side, I mean, Chapman's had all kinds of issues, but uh, Lucas Litke is very much like a fastball. And then that crazy Frisbee slider that he throws. What is it about Peralta that makes him sneaky effective? Like he, he really doesn't look like any other pitcher in that bullpen and really doesn't look like a lot of pitchers in the majors today. He's very much like he would be very at home in a 2005 MLB team's bullpen, and yet he's very, very effective whenever the Yankees go to him. Yeah, it is interesting the way that a lot of the discourse around pitching in baseball has been the shift to, uh, you know, high spin four seamers um, that are thrown at the top of the zone. And then recently, I'd say even starting this year, we've seen actually sort of the way that the cycle works and, and kind of shifting back towards these heavy sinker ballers who throw, yeah, 99 to 100 mile an hour sinkers, which was unheard of even 10 years ago but the thing about wandy if you can if you can find home plate view of his delivery like you don't see the ball until it's bat basically out of his hand so that gives the hitters a lot less time to react and a lot less time to kind of pick up on what kind of pitch it is out of his hand and then he's also a t- like near the top of the league uh, in terms of horizontal movement on his sinker and changeup, and the two pitches tunnel together for so long towards the plate that we see, granted, the ground ball for the double play was actually on a slider, which I'm actually going to give myself a pat on the back. I wrote about how I wanted him to increase his slider usage uh, earlier this year, and he's really thrown some good ones before he got injured. But the, the that sinker changeup combo that tunnels so long towards the plate, and then the changeup just dives off of the plane of the sinker about two-thirds of the way to the plate, has really been the special sauce for Wandy. Also, just like his attitude on the mound like he has a swagger and a confidence that i actually that i absolutely think helps him play up like there's some you know there's something to be said for self-belief and belief in the pitches that you throw and the plan that you have to attack batters and and wandy has been like sam said like really one of the dark horse solid bullpen pitchers in all of mlb this year he very much reminds me of of nestor cortez but in the bullpen both in terms of stuff approach attitude i think that they i have i mean i have no idea if they're friends or not but it feels like those two probably get along feels like they would have a lot in common all throughout both their game and sort of their attitudes um so yeah so pitching is half the game um the other half you got to hit the ball i was quite happy today that he's took everyone's advice and just hit the ball over the fence a couple times and lo and behold they won the game um the 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 big one that i really want to hone in on is anthony rizzo Aaron Judge, I think, is the most important player in this series. I don't think that's in question. He's the he's the single best player in the series, and he can carry the Yankees in a way that just nobody else can. But Sam Rizzo, obviously hitting right behind Judge, being the sort of threat that gets Judge gets Judge pitches to hit. Um, and and I mean, yeah, I'm looking at a replay of the ball right now, and and Quantrill left an 88 mile per hour breaker over the middle of the plate that just kind of hung there. You got to hit that ball out of the ballpark every single day. But um, having Rizzo go back to what he was in April or May, even for just, you know, a a stretch of 10 games really makes this lineup really, really dangerous. Yeah. I thought that was sort of a big takeaway that I thought too, just because when this team was kind of at its floor at its, the bottom of the barrel, 
it was basically just Judge and nobody else. Like having Rizzo back in the lineup and if he's able to contribute because in the you know time that he has that he's been able to be on the field, he's he's been the other guy behind Judge. Uh, so if he's able to produce and like you know just to, just tonight we saw Judge have a fairly subpar night and he was picked up by the other guys uh, in the lineup. You know most most notably with Rizzo with the two run homer. But I think I think just that backup option, that secondary bat that you need to be worried about behind Judge is big. And I think that sort of goes, although we didn't see it tonight, he looked better, but uh, that goes for Stanton too. Like I think his ability to contribute is, is kind of huge for this team just because it's hard to count on one person for an extended period of time, regardless of how good Judge is. Uh, so, I, so I think that is big. Stanton, I'm going to go ahead and just like call it now. Yeah. Um, Stanton is on the verge of breaking out. Like I know he had a really hot week at the end of the season, his swings his and his swing decisions tonight looked like a guy that's completely locked in. And I really think when you sort of evaluate his season, that stretch he went on, you know, at the very beginning of September where he, he really did look bad. So much of that was his ankle was still bothering him. The He went on a hot run at the end of the season and he just looked so locked in. The results weren't there tonight, but I think that Stanton is going to be a real force. And if you have... Judge Rizzo stand at the top of the lineup. You know, if you get anything from anybody else, but yeah, um, Peter Harrison Bader. Oh my God, I love Harrison Bader. I love Harrison Bader. I love him. I, I, I have to eat a little bit of crow. I will eat a little bit of crow on this because I did write yesterday a post about all of these glove first guys that the Yankees have, and how worried I was that the team is going to need a big hit, and you can't really count on IKF or Josh Donaldson, or whomever, and we'll get to Donaldson in a second, to, to get that big hit, just because I don't, I don't think it's in their stick. Um, Harrison Bader had a pretty big hit today, and it felt really, really good to see him go yard, and I feel like he's been a league average hitter-ish before, and getting him to that level with the defense that he offers would really be something special. And when you watch him his swing looks really, really nice. Like that swing on the home run was a really nice swing. Oh yeah, for sure. That was a, that was definitely a nice swing. And the, the, the issue with Bader is that his exit velocity is declining each year and it it was pretty abysmal this year. We'll see when he gets a, a full season that isn't hampered by injury. Um, if that can kind of rebound a little bit, but it's funny uh, when I was previewing this game, I, I was looking at obviously Judge and Glaber and and Giancarlo to be the people to really supply the the power. Um, and lo and behold, it was Rizzo, uh, who granted, as you guys mentioned, didn't look great at the end of the season. And then Bader comes out of nowhere with, a, I mean, that was such a massive swing in momentum to be able to respond after that, like that third inning where it looked where things looked like they could get really dire. And maybe there's like even though Cole escaped the inning. There was like that little bit of like stress that creeped that crept into the pit of your stomach, and then Bader just like erased all of that with with one swing. You know what a way to get your first home run in pinstripes for a guy who rooted for the Yankees growing up as a kid. It was a nice swing. It was it was I mean it was beautiful. He he matched the the plane of the pitch, and he like I mean he drilled a line drive into the season left. That being said, like. I don't know how much <laughs> I don't know how much more offense we can rely on from Bader in the series. I mean, the, we've we've talked about before that like if all he gives you is gold glove defense in center field, like we will take that and run with it because not only 
is that valuable in and of itself, but it gives, it lets Aaron Judge play right field on a daily basis, starting right field. And that in and of itself is immensely valuable. I suppose we can't dance around it any longer. Um, Josh Donaldson. Look, we've all watched a lot of Yankee games this year. We've all seen Donaldson hit a ball, and he seems to particularly do it on balls to right field. I think he maybe thinks that that short porch is shorter than it really is, or he's just completely sapped of power, which is also a possibility. He breaks into his home run trot. He high-fives the first base coach, and the ball didn't leave the ballpark. Uh, The ball hit the top of the wall, bounced back into play, ball was thrown back into the infield and Donaldson was out at first. Now, it didn't end up mattering in the grand scheme of things because the Yankees did win. Um, But those are the kind of errors, especially in the postseason, that, boy, it felt like that was going to be that was going to be a a huge moment in the game. And and Donaldson is lucky that, you know, Rizzo was able to to have the dagger and and the Yankees were able to pull this win off. Um, Sam, walk me through sort of, as you watch that play, what you thought about what Donaldson was doing. And then, you know, there were some people that said he should have been benched. I don't know what you do in that situation. I guess you move Cabrera to third and then you put Marwin in left, but that's kind of messy. Um, yeah. What did you think about the play itself? And what did you think about, uh, the way that the Yankees reacted or at least publicly so far haven't seemed to react i would be pretty surprised if there was like a mid-game substitution uh in a postseason game for something like that uh i'm sure it's probably happened at some point but that would surprise me a bit especially when the alternatives are like you said you know putting putting marvin out in left field or something in his defense i'm watching on a tv but when i saw it i thought the ball like had fully cleared the fence like i didn't see it bounce uh so but obviously that is an extremely different viewpoint than what he had. Uh, but also something I was curious about. So he high-fived the coach while the ball was in play. And I'm pretty sure that's like an out. I could be totally making this up, but I'm pretty sure Matt Kemp one time hit a ball that he thought was out and he had high-fived the coach on his, like while he was rounding first and they called him out like for that reason. And I, I'm happy to hear if anybody has an answer to that, but I'm pretty no, sure I that... Think, I think you're right. I think yeah. there is a rule that the, the base coach can't touch the runner. I think yeah, there, like was, a, the there was an episode where maybe even like Ron Washington made a, made a, might have made contact with one of the runners coming around third and he was called out. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I agree with you. Like <laughs> the first base coach, not making excuses for Donaldson because he's done this right. all year long, but the first base coach did him absolutely no favors by like making him think or like furthering the perception that a home run had been hit like he right. shouldn't be reaching out for so a high five was, so on that anything that's problem. close so i have i have the rule in front of me uh base coaches can be called for interference if the umpire determines they are physically assisting a runner by grabbing or holding said runner from leaving or returning to a base moreover base coaches are not permitted to leave their boxes and act in any manner intended to draw throw by the fielder so it sounds to me like donaldson wouldn't have actually been out if he just high-fived the coach, because I don't know how that could be interpreted as physically assisting a runner. But I do think, so the, the first base coach in, in question, Travis Chapman, yeah, odd of him to to high-five and not at least, I mean, yeah, it's a short porch, so you're thinking porch job, but if Donaldson wants to get a little bit carried away with it, I mean, he's an MLB hitter. I'm not, I, 
we can tell him what to do, but also we can't really tell him what to do, if that makes sense. Um, as a first base coach, like you've got to be locked in on where that ball is. Part of your job as a first or third base coach is to watch the ball so that the hitter can focus on running and knowing what base is going to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Donaldson deserves the blame for that play. But I think what uh, I think uh, Chapman reaching out and, and shaking the hand too early uh, was was pretty egregious on its own. And it kind of just adds to a, a very bad week for folks named Chapman. Yeah. And then, like, also Donaldson should be hyper aware that, like, given the scrutiny that's on him and the, the multiple, like, mental errors that he's had doing the exact same thing, like, I don't care if it's a freaking third deck job. Freaking don't, like, run. And then don't, like, don't give the other team any opportunity. And don't give, don't open yourself up to any opportunity for criticism. Like, the spotlight's on you, dude. Like, and I guess that's never deterred Donaldson in his career, but, like... Josh Donaldson, as an official representative of Pinstripe Alley, uh, there is no third deck at Yankee Stadium that is in play. Uh, So if you happen to hit a ball... Above the second deck, uh, you can pimp you want. Just make sure that it goes over. That's what I thought about Anthony Rizzo's home run. Man, he crushed that ball. Everyone knew it was gone. Go ahead and flip the bat. Uh, it looks like we have Luke back. Uh, Luke, what's up? Hey, what's up? I don't know what's going on with my uh, thing. I didn't mean to keep requesting, but I was like, my Wi-Fi was cutting out, so it kept like taking away my request. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a very strange night in oh, okay. spaces, so you're fine. Don't Sweet. worry. Um, I just want to get my thoughts on that game. I was just going to say, um, overall, I thought it was a very well-played game. I thought that was the most organized playoff game the Yankees have had since probably 2017. I know it's not saying much, but, I mean, it started with Cole doing what he was paid to do, giving six very strong innings. Probably could have gone more if the umpire wasn't pretty much bailing out the the uh, Guardians all night. I really – it was the bias on the, on the strike calls. That's a whole other conversation, but he did a great job. Bullpen came in, did their job. Um, the bats overall were good, even though not everyone got hits. People were actually working long at bats, and that that was that was great to see. Actually, everyone was working good at bats, even Stanton stuff like that. That was great to see. Um, definitely a little bit disappointed in Donaldson um, and the first base coach. I mean, I, I played baseball my whole life, and the rule of thumb in that situation is you run as if the ball is in play until you know for sure that that ball was gone. So you see the finger wag of the umpires, you you run as yeah, if that ball is in mean, play. You don't stop. You don't stop. Um, but that's pretty much what I had to say. I was happy with the win. Great, great way to secure game one at home, especially. That was great, ideal. Um, you got Nestor coming in for game two. You got to feel good where you are, the Yankees. You got him for game two. You got Sevy for game three. Already, so yeah, I'm good to see. I'm happy to see what uh, went down. Excited to see what the series brings. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I, I definitely agree. I think that um, the Yankees. I mean, it's hard. This is one of those games where like it's hard to be that happy because the Yankees just kind of took care of business and did exactly what they needed to do. But I'd rather be up one nothing than down one nothing. Peter, I know you wanted to kind of respond to a couple of things there. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Um, I agree with you that. I actually wrote in the recap that this is actually this might be how you might you know script up a, a Yankees playoff one where your your ace shoves your offense does just enough with help from the long ball and then your bullpen pitches lights out to secure the win. Um, the one thing that I will push back a little bit on is this notion that the home plate umpire was biased in favor of Cleveland. If you, I actually thought it was the other way around. I thought Yankees pitchers got more favorable calls. Than Peter Cleveland Brody pitchers did. Sure there was obviously that really egregious 
one on the low slider from Cole that ob- definitely should have been called strike three, but thankfully it didn't it didn't lead to anything. And then it was, and I think what made it look so bad is that uh, Judge got rung up on a on a similar pitch, at least height wise. But if you just take a quick glance at the Statcast, the Illustrator on the uh, Statcast game feed page. Um, and you can filter with by balls and called strikes. This home plate um, umpire demonstrably favored the Yankees pitchers over the Guardians pitchers. And and when umpire scorecards come out, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see the Yankees have like a half run uh, in their favor. So we've talked about, so we've sort of analyzed the game. I kind of wanted to talk about the aesthetics of how the game was presented today. Um, so all the DS games are either on fox or fs1 uh obviously there's a different officiating or officiating there's a different play-by-play crew uh for every single game today we had bob costas and ron darling um and i want both of you to kind of talk me through this because i'm very cognizant of the fact that i uh reject gerontocracy i sort of am not a fan of the idea that like the eldest among us uh, automatically are uh, assumed authority positions. Um, Bob Costas is far more accomplished in sports broadcasting than I will ever be. And, you know, has done this dozens of times, hundreds of times. I don't know how many playoff games he's called. Um, did not shut the fuck up for the entire game. It felt like literally the entire game he was talking. And uh, someone in the game thread made a comment um about how, you know, he tries to be Vin Scully in that he will tell the story of the game while mixing in, like, these fun bits of trivia and anecdote and whatnot. Um, And I think he's not good at that. I I appreciate Costas aesthetically in terms of his voice is very calming and he sort of, the way that he calls a game, there is a lot of flow to it. But, uh, Sam, I mean both you and Peter can kind of correct me if I'm wrong. Did he annoy you today? <laughs> he annoyed me today. He, I, he was, I don't think he called a very good game. I think that's fair. And also I feel like uh, one of, one of the more interesting storylines is that I, I don't remember like a single thing that Ron Darling said. Uh, no, Ron and, Darling was a ghost tonight. Yeah. Like, like I, he said I saw words, several tweets but that I were very no true idea. that were just like, you know, that Bob Costas would be going off on some, very far removed tangent and you know ron darling would just throw in like a yep <laughs> or a yeah sure and uh it's yeah i i it's not something that honestly like matters to me all that much but it is it was sort of odd and it seemed i feel like i haven't noticed that about him before so maybe this was like you know just an off night but uh but yeah i do i do agree with that sentiment i think and i, I you know feel bad for ron darling maybe he had more to say but <laughs> Um, Peter, I know you're not Ron Darling's biggest fan, but what did you think about the, again, going just purely aesthetics, not quality of the game, but sort of the way that the game was presented today? Wait, wait, where is this coming from that I'm not the biggest Ron Darling fan? I, you I don't mean, like I don't... Ron, we've discussed oh. several times you don't like Ron Darling, unless you've well, been lying to no, me. No, 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 I don't years, like him which, on I mean... PBS broadcasts. I like him on Mets broadcasts, though. Uh, okay, all right, there we yeah. go. But I, like, to Sam's point, I can't remember a single thing that he said. And then... <laughs> You brought up Vin Scully and storytelling during a game. Uh, the problem is when Bob Costas makes that story his personal vendetta against PETs, 
Well, so yeah, so here's the thing with Bob Costas. Like, when Vin Scully told a story, it was like he was just purely the narrator of the story. Bob Costas, it's a story about Bob Costas. Just like, exactly. Like, like in a, in a Don Quixote esque way of wandering through the baseball world. And, and that's where I think it falls apart for me is like, I remember like really clearly, like one of my favorite things that, uh, one of my favorite Vince Scully stories is when, um, oh God, was it, uh, who the hell was it? Um, doesn't matter. Some Dodger player was attacked by a wolf as a child. Um, and Johnny Gomes, that's who it was. And, um, like Vin tells this story and it like Vin is completely removed. He is simply the omnipresent narrator of the story. And if Bob Costas told that story, Bob Costas would have been the guy who pulled the wolf off of Johnny Gomes. Like it is, it is a Bob Costas story wrapped in a baseball story. Am I hearing yeah, right now that Johnny Gomes was attacked by a wolf as a child? I am 99% sure it was Johnny Gomes. I'm going to find, I, when we, when we I get hope, off this, I'm I hope it is. It. I'll find just, the video, I'll send it to you. I, I'm that's pretty a sure fantastic story. Yeah. But yeah, I just. I oh my God, you're right. It is. Set on fire and attacked by a wolf. <laughs> Wait. Like the same event? Uh, well, the the lead certainly makes it seem like it, but I don't think so. I don't think that's he was a, set. On, I don't think he was set on fire, and I don't think it was the same thing. I think it was two that's different. A, that's stories. a tough night. It was because yeah, was, that would have been that would have been a really unfortunate. It night. explains a lot yeah. about Johnny Ghost. It does. Yeah, I'd, I'd, you know, like... I'd be I'd be brash to it. Um, but yeah, I just and like I said, like I try not to be. I know it's the cliche thing when there's a national game. And it's the Yankees, so it's going to be in prime time. So there's going to be a lot of people watching that aren't Yankee fans. So I get that you go to Costas for that kind of game. But it's just, I don't know, man. Uh, this was, again, I really like Bob Costas, but it maybe, like to Sam's point, maybe it was an off night, but I just thought he just really didn't do a great job. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, I I, I really like the tone and cadence of his voice for a, a, radio, a, a baseball broadcast, but in terms of the actual content that he brings to the program i could really do without like i said i mean i said it before like uh, uh, i have a very strong booth i know it's easy to just go to david cone i think a very strong booth would be costas and cone or costas and jason benetti um anyway so the yankees get the off day tomorrow uh, on thursday uh nestor cortez gets the start we'll get both of you guys out of here on this what's sort of the one thing that you're looking for you know it's a cliche but it's the playoffs that's all we live off of as cliches. What's the key to, to game two for before the team heads to Cleveland? So this is a very different matchup from a starting pitching standpoint. I think Cole is the perfect pitcher to face the Guardians because of all the teams in the playoffs, they have the lowest whiff rate, but also the highest chase rate. So you're going to get them to chase out of the zone and they're going to make contact on bad pitches to hit, which usually leads to pretty crappy contact the thing with Nestor is he thrives on whiffs on pitches in the zone in the zone yeah he just right? pounds on so much yeah and so I think that's going to kind of headbutt against the Guardians hitting philosophy and it really is going to be I mean he's going to have to have the performance of his life and he's going to have to execute his pitches directly like right to their zones because we saw some like some of the pitches that Cole gave up for hits today granted like he grooved a few they were high velocity, high spin, high rise fastballs, and like that's Nestor's pitch. Uh, Sam, what's your sort of your key? 
I think it was Aaron in our Slack that said that that this game was like deliciously normal. And I feel like that's like sort of an important thing that I got from this game that would be important going forward is sort of like avoiding those big mistakes. Like even with the Cole home run, like like we talked about, it was just just a solo home run. And, you know, there's contributions up and down the lineup, got through those last few innings. I feel like that's sort of an important I mean, it's a good thing for any team, but it's something that is particularly kind of reassuring, I think, for the Yankees to have a game like that and sort of continuing that trend of of just a normal good just win of a baseball game. I just I think that sort of not that that's a specific thing necessarily, but that is kind of an important thing. And I think it's a good takeaway from today. And it's, I don't know, encouraging going forward, I guess. Yeah, the big takeaway for me, it, it's funny. It's not even the Yankees based. It's Shane Bieber. Um, Shane Bieber is a guy that throws similar actually to Nestor, um, although maybe perhaps not quite as reliant on it. Shane Bieber throws just so many fastballs in the zone. And um, the last time that the Yankees faced Bieber in the postseason, uh, Aaron Judge took him deep in the first inning. And uh, Glaber Torres, who had a two-run home run in the fifth inning, and the Yankees ended up scoring seven runs on Shane Bieber. And I think that for a team with the Yankees' perspective, you know, this sort of hit-strikes-hard-hitting philosophy where – they haven't maybe 100% executed it the way that they wanted to over the winter, but at least it was like, you can see that they are much less complacent on the first and second pitch of at-bats. And I think so, to Peter's earlier point about how Garrett Cole is sort of the best possible Yankee starter to face the Guardians, I think that Bieber is probably the ideal starter to face the Yankees just because of how many, like you will see fastballs in the zone when you face him and the Yankees have been very, very good at early in counts, punishing those kind of pitches. So, I mean, it's only one game in the postseason that they've done it, but it's just sort of more uh, thematically from, from sort of a broader team approach. I think he lines up really, really well with what their hitters try to do. So uh, them getting to Bieber will be really big, Um, but that game comes on Thursday. Um, There are some questions about whether or not that game will be played. I know the weather is not, super great um but hopefully the yankees get it um they took care of business tonight and they're up 1-0 and that's as good as a performance as, as i think you could ask from the yankees for the lds they do this uh, a couple more times over the next few weeks and and they're gonna have a really deep playoff run um so we'll get out of here on that um peter sam thank you both for joining thanks for covering well uh, weird internet coverage things happened and and good work for both of you on the on the postseason recap this is a chaotic time of year and uh you both were able to get some stuff written and then and then get on here with me so i appreciate that yeah hey, good times thanks for doing it yeah thanks for having me go yankee yeah we'll see everybody thursday night good night guys